message a little bit and some more music after the sermon is over. But for now, before you get too settled in, I invite you to stand and uh, greet one another, pass the peace of Christ, share the light of God's love in your life by welcoming each other this morning. Wonderful. How good and pleasant it is to worship God in the company of friends and loved ones, friends who are family and family who are friends. We are in our second week of our series called Relationship IQ, Relate Smarter, Not Harder. And we wanted to take some time in the beginning of this year in this first Sunday now of Epiphany with our lights, the season of light and revelation where God is speaking again into our hearts and into our lives, into our community about the importance and the value of relationships and how significant it is for us to be intentional about investing in the thing that is probably the most practical way that we can live out our faith every day. And so we're excited that you are here. I want to uh, ask you to just join me again in a word of prayer and ask God to bless this time of looking into his word and to prepare our hearts and minds to receive that word that he has through his Holy Spirit for you and for me this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you are a God of light. You are a God of love. You are a God of mercy and grace. And yet you are also a God who speaks. From the beginning of creation until now, through your spirit, you have spoken our lives into existence. You have given us this life to live, and now we ask that you would speak to us again this morning. Through your word and through our our time spent in worship, God, would you show us, would you reveal to us what you would have us know about ourselves, about you, about who you are in our lives and the kinds of people that you want us to be and to become. And we will praise you and thank you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A husband and wife were involved in a car crash. And the husband woke up in his wife's arms. She was looking tenderly at him and with graciousness in her eyes. And he could feel the the strength of her embrace and her touch. And he looked up at her and he said, Honey, you've always been here with me. You were there when I lost my job. You were there when I fell off the ladder at Christmas. You were there when I broke my leg. You were there when my appendix burst and had to be taken out. And now here you are again. Honey, I'm beginning to think that you're bad luck. (laughs) Our perspective on relationships can change over time. And often our experiences of life and relationship often cloud our understanding of what's important and what's of value. And in this time of looking at relationships, we want to encourage one another to be smart 
about relationships and to recognize that as we live out our spiritual lives with one another, pursuing healthy and vital relationships with one another is, is actually the best way that we can live out the greatest commands that Jesus said, or to love God and to love others. Unfortunately, too often we give less attention to our relationships, and as a result, we have to work much harder at them than maybe we need to. We said last week that we need to be as strategic about our relationships as we are about all the other aspects of our lives. And today we want to talk a little bit about marriage. Not that everybody is going to uh, focus on that being a meaningful topic for them, because we know that in, in a community there are some people who haven't been married yet. There are some people who have never been or will be married. And some of you here today maybe have experienced the loss of, of a spouse, and, and that it, that even talking about marriage can be difficult and painful. And we understand that. As we talk a little bit about marriage, we want to take some time to focus on marriage as one of the most foundational partnerships in our community and in our society. And as a result, it's important for us to talk about as a church, but it's also true that the the basic principles of what make a healthy marriage are applicable to all of our relationships. And so whether you're married or previously married or or, or not married, um, this message can have value for you as well. Tammy was making an appointment with the optometrist uh, a few years ago, and, and she came up to me as she was making the appointment, and she said, hey, do you, do you need a, an appointment as well to have your vision checked? I said, no. She said, well, are you sure? I said, is there something you're trying to tell me? <laughs> but it was a valid question, because at my age, now 47, sometimes it happens very slowly, right? That our vision begins to fade and we, we, we don't realize that it's changing because it just seems the way it always was until one day we go to get our vision checked and we find out, oh, you know, these glasses help me see a lot better. Uh, to this day, I still believe I don't need glasses. It might be my stubbornness. I haven't had my vision checked in a while, but uh, I remember the story of my father who uh, had 20-20 vision until he was in his 60s. And uh, one day he decided he was trying to read and he kept having to hold the book further and further away and he went and got checked out and sure enough he had to to get glasses. And there was kind of this transition period for a guy who had never had to wear glasses to learn kind of how to wear glasses and and make it work effectively. And and one of the challenges he had is when he would preach, uh, his glasses would begin to slide down his nose. And, and, and so he developed this habit of, of using his middle finger to push his glasses up <laughs> while he was preaching. And so one Sunday, we, over lunch, we had to pull my dad aside and say, Dad, do you realize that every Sunday you're flipping your congregation off <laughs> 10 or 12 times? See, these are the kinds of things that pastor's family talk about over lunch. The reality is that same kind of, of degenerative process can happen to us in all of our relationships. Over the years, I've had a lot of opportunities to meet with people in my office or over lunch or coffee and talk to them about what's going on in their lives. And I remember stories uh, like one couple who came and they had been separated and they were questioning whether their marriage was going to be able to work. And, and I heard the wife say, you know, he doesn't support me. I don't feel loved or appreciated or valued in the relationship. I don't think I love him anymore. And I don't see any hope for continuing in this relationship. Or the conversation I had with a mom of a teenage son when I was doing youth ministry, where she came and she said, I can't control my son anymore. It seems like everything I tell him to do, he does the exact opposite. 
I feel like I'm ready to give up, and I don't know what else I can do. Or the high school student that I talked to where his parents had separated when he was a young boy and he came to me saying that my dad is never around or available anymore. All the other boys in my scout troop are going to have someone there when I become an Eagle Scout this next weekend, but I don't have anyone to be there for me. Would you consider being present to represent for me? Or the businesswoman who is in our church who came and was very frustrated and she said that she had been trying extremely hard to to make it in a man's world as an executive manager and she had become a friend of mine and she said you know what I feel so isolated and invisible and taken for granted of taken for granted in my work I can't help but feel like all the effort and the time and energy I've put in to becoming successful in my business isn't even noticed by my colleagues I'm not sure I should even stay in this field anymore What do all these people have in common? All of them have lost the ability to see the future clearly. They had begun to lose vision, and without vision, they were losing confidence that they could continue in the relationships that they had or that they wanted. And I think this question of do we have a vision for the future of all of our relationships is is one of the core understandings uh, that the Bible wants to give us. And I think it's one of the things that that the Apostle Paul was trying to encourage the early church in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 6 through 9 today where he's encouraging people not to become discouraged. He, He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul is helping us to see that being people of vision means that we have to have the spiritual discipline to take our eyes off the things that would cloud our vision and focus on the things of God that help us to see his preferred future for us clearly. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, anything excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things and and go to God in prayer with thanksgiving for the good things that we have. See, having vision is about the ability to see clearly, to see life clearly, to see our future clearly, so that we can act now in partnership on the path that God is leading us toward. You know, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In our culture, we understand the importance of vision in the world of business and in organizational planning and, and strategic execution. We know the critical importance for that vision plays in being able to plan strategically and to, to execute effectively. But rarely do we apply that same understanding to our personal lives and our relationships and our marriages and our families. Questions of vision are questions like, where, where do you want to be in your marriage two years from now? five years from now, ten years from now? Where do you want to be in your family two, five, ten years from now? Where do you want to be with with the kinds of friends that you have and the the way that they're supporting you and, and pouring into your life and the way that you're investing in their lives? Where do you want to be in your relationship with God this time next year? Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision? 
do you even care? But you see, without vision, we can't know or we can't plan for what those relationships will look like, what they will feel like, what they will uh, consist of. Because vision is the first step in being able to take proactive steps toward building the kinds of things that we want to achieve in our lives and in our relationships. And the reality is where there is no vision, marriages crumble. Families disintegrate, friendships falter, and people perish. If not physically, then for a lack of having the emotional and spiritual support and experience that they need and desire in life. Just like our physical health, we need to be intentional about pursuing health and wholeness in our relationships as well. Part of the challenge with that is that if we're not checking our vision regularly, if we're not clear on whether our vision is clear, we have relational blind spots that can creep in, that begin to obscure our vision and prevent us from seeing God's preferred future for us. This morning, I'd like to suggest to you that there are are five common relational blind spots that we all need to be aware of. And these particularly affect marriages. And so, as, as those of us who are married or desire to be married, these are particularly important to you this morning, to us. But these, again, are practically applicable to all of our relationships, and even in the church that is the bride of Christ. The first relational blind spot is the temptation to live extravagantly versus living daily. Living extravagantly versus living daily. Now, I'm not talking about financial extravagance. I mean, that's a temptation that we have in American culture is to, you know, have the the bigger, better houses and vacations and trips and all those things. But, But I'm talking about living extravagantly in our relationship gestures and in our relationship planning. And, and often when we, we, we live that way, it's we think that we can have the big gesture or the big gift or, 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 or the big special event that makes up for all of the days where we've neglected the relationship leading up to that time. David is a compulsive workaholic and his wife Cheryl is lonely and miserable as she sits at home week in and week out never having the relationship, connection, and intimacy with him that she desires. So to alleviate her pain, David takes her on an elaborate vacation and plans luxurious getaways for them. They have a good time while they're there, but in between times, their marriage is continually on the verge of divorce because Cheryl doesn't know if she wants to live a life alone while being married. While David spends 30 years overachieving at work, and achieves great success there, his relationships suffer, and the joy of all of his efforts in succeeding at work fall hollow and empty and unsatisfying. You see, physically we know that you can only push your mind and body to a certain extent, and at such point when you become overwhelmed, you can't just go and have a weekend on the beach and recover. We know that, that, that physically we have to be consistently walking and, and having endurance exercises so that we're, we're building up the strength of our heart and, and our muscles. And we have to do some strength training and have some resistance so that, that our bones stay strong and, and that we grow and continue to be healthy throughout life. You, you can't neglect your body for a lifetime and then at you know, 65 years old go out and, and, and assume that you're going to run a marathon. It gets much harder to make up for all that lack. See, if we, if we learn that living daily makes it a lot easier each day because the, the benefits are accumulative, 
we, we less, fall less victim to the blind spot thinking that we can live our lives not investing in, in one another and in our relationships and somehow make it up for a whole la- loss of a year by a great vacation or a weekend getaway. It just doesn't cut it. Jewish scholar Mimondites said, Men and women do not acquire virtues by the greatness of a deed, but rather by the number of times it's performed. You see, it's so much easier to perform multiple small deeds day in and day out than than to neglect those relationships and save up for that big day when you're going to do some grand gesture. Now, it's a lot more mundane to do daily acts of love and kindness than to plan a, a trip to Maui. But it's much more effective in building healthy, whole relationships. See, rather than huge gestures, healthy and effective marriages and relationships are built on the small, daily intentionality of loving and caring for one another. And the second blind spot is really when we tend to allow problems to define our relationships. Too often it's easy to fall victim into thinking that the problems are so big that that they cloud out all other perspectives of our relationship. Problems become seductive in our relationships. We love drama, don't we? I mean, there's something about focusing on the problems in our relationship. It, it gives us that adrenaline rush. It gives us that, that feeling that at least we're connected in some way. At least we're talking about something. But it, but it also pushes us apart. And, and while there's energy and, and, and excitement even that comes in the relationship by focusing on the problems, if we're not careful, problems become to dominate our lives and our marriage and our family. And, and the reality of our marriage becomes defined by the problems that we have. See, they call for our attention and they beg for reg- resolution, but, but we don't have to focus so much on the problems to the detriment of recognizing that there are so many good things that we could be focusing on as well. Often the reality is in most of our relationships, the positives outweigh the negatives. But when we become so focused on the things that we're upset about or that we're concerned about, we don't ever spend any time investing in the positives And the problems become so much greater and feel like that's all there is. I think that's why the Apostle Paul says, when you get into those kinds of situations, whether it's in your marriage or a conflict with people in your church or, or even a challenge at work, choose to take a step back. And go to God with thanksgiving and, and focus on the things that you have to be grateful for. And spend some time thinking about what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely. Look at your spouse or your friend and, and, and go through the list of what are the things that you really do love about them. What are the things that you, you appreciate about them? And often focusing on those positives helps to bring the drama out of the negatives. And it calms the emotional side of things so we can actually, in love and respect, deal with the problems as friends and as loved ones. You know, you can take some time to compliment one another and, and, and talk about what it is that caused you to fall in love in the first place. We can choose to take 15 minutes and, and go for a walk together. Sometimes just doing something even silently together reconnects you in that sense of, of partnership. Things maybe just, these things may be just as real and maybe even more important than whatever problem you're trying to solve. You see, the, while we always have problems and there's always going to be challenges in relationships, if we take some time to focus on how can we love each other in these small ways, we can generate goodwill in our relationship. And while problems are seductive, goodwill becomes productive. The more harmony and good we have generated in our relationship with one another day in and day out, 
the less likely we are to feel abandoned and isolated and separated when those problems come up and we need to deal with them. Relationship coach Raymond Gleason said, The kindness that we offer one another in those moments may help us stay heart to heart even when we don't see eye to eye. Love that statement. The kindness that we show one another Even when we're upset, even when we're frustrated, even when we're angry, if we can take them out to show each other a little bit of kindness, can help us stay heart to heart, even when we don't see eye to eye. When Tammy and I first got married, we had this recurring argument. Many of you have recurring arguments. We get back into that same situation, and we couldn't figure out why do we keep getting back into this place? Because it felt like we were getting all upset about things that didn't seem that important. But in the moment, we were all you know, angry and frustrated, and, and, and it just became so intense. And so we, we finally were able to, with some counseling and talking with trusted advisors, begin to understand what was going on underneath all of that drama for us. And what we realized is that as, as Tammy would begin to get frustrated and upset, she, she would become more intense and, and, and kind of aggressive in the conversation. And, and I, when I would feel like things getting intense, I would become more calm and peaceful. And so Tammy's perception of me is that I was running away. And my perception of her is that she was attacking. Right? And so you could see that we were accusing one another of being the problem in the situation. Well, what we came to understand is the reason Tammy became more intense and aggressive is because she was afraid we were going to lose connection. And she was trying to, to, to reach out and, and, and stay connected. And I was afraid that the intensity would, would, would disconnect us. And so I would try and stay calm and say, no, let's talk about it. So our desire was the same, but we were going about it in opposite ways. And so we realized that the problem was that we didn't really understand what we were trying to accomplish in those moments. And so we realized when we got into that situation, the solution was to stop, pause, And take a step back. And we would ask each other a simple question. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And the response would be, I love you too. And that's more important than whatever this problem is. So why don't we take a pause, put the problem aside, and let's focus on all the good things about our relationship. Let's focus on the things that we have to celebrate. Let's focus on how we can love one another and build that foundation. And if we have trust that we do love each other and we want the same thing, any problem can be worked on. Any solution for, for this issue can be solved. And that was very effective in helping us to let the steam out of the pressure cooker when we would get into those intense moments. So Wait before raising your problems with one another. Waiting some time can take some of the pressure out. 99% of the time, the problem is not going to be solved in that moment anyway when your emotions are heightened and you're anxious and upset anyway. Uh, I used to play soccer as a kid, and when uh, you would have uh, uh, the, the referee would come and he'd have these cards that he could pull, right? A yellow card was a warning, a red card was, you know, you're, you're out of the game. And, and when I was doing some marriage counseling early on, I, I, I found that that was a helpful image for couples. When you get yourself into an intense situation and you know that it's getting out of control and, and you're not really being productive in your conversation anymore, one or the other, give each other permission to pull out the, the red card and go, pause, I'm pulling the card. 
And when, the, when one or the other person pulls the card, it doesn't mean that they're trying to be controlling. It doesn't mean they're trying to dominate. It means we're recognizing together that I'm in a situation that I don't think is going anywhere good. Let's take a pause, and we'll come back to it 24 hours later, 48 hours later. It's not that we're going to ignore it or sweep it under the rug. We're going to focus on the good things about our relationship and about one another and come back to it later. You know, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How much more value would it be if we stopped our arguments, spent some time going to God and saying, okay, God, I need, I need your perspective on this situation. I need your perspective on my husband. I need your perspective on my wife. Help me to see the good things in my partner so that we can deal with these challenges and these problems productively and not get sucked into all the drama. The third blind spot is the myth of mind reading. You realize it is a myth, right? Don't assume that you know what your friend or your partner is thinking or feeling. There's a good chance you could be wrong, and assumptions create unnecessary conflict. If, you, if your husband, ladies, is brooding and distant, don't assume he's angry at you, because then you just get angry back at him, and you start treating him like he's a jerk, and he didn't even do anything. Maybe he's got something weighing on his mind at work. Maybe he's got something, you know, deep down inside that he, he doesn't know how to talk about, and he's, he's holding it inside. But if we, if we assume that we can read each other's minds and go, oh, well, he's angry at me, then we turn that around and it escalates the problems. How often do we make the wrong assumptions and go on believing them without ever taking the time to find out if they're true or not? Here's a quick exercise that you can do with your spouse or even with your friends. I believe my partner thinks or feels blank about me. You can write down, I believe this, and then share that with your partner. Is this true? I guarantee you, many of the times, the person's going to go, no, absolutely not. And then you can begin to talk about it. Well, well this is how it f- makes me feel when ABC, you know, when, when this happens, it makes me feel this way. Oh, well, I never meant that. And then you can begin to take the pressure out of the situation and talk about those things. Check your assumptions. Many of them are incorrect. Now, on the other hand, some of them might be verified. You could say, you know, I, I feel like you think this about me. And the other person go, yeah, that's true. Well, maybe we should talk about that too. Because you see, oftentimes there are things we think or feel that we don't speak. We don't bring them out into the relationship. And if we don't bring them up, we can never work on them and work through them and talk about them. And so the value of checking in with what's really going on is helpful uh, on both sides. The fourth blind spot is taking your partner for granted. Now, too often, I think this is such an easy one for us to all fall victim to, and we don't ever really think about it, but we end up taking our partner for granted when we come into the relationship with a sense of entitlement with, and with unrealistic or even unspoken expectations. You know, the, an entitlement attitude is that whatever you do for me, I deserve. So why bother asking you or even saying thank you? It's the attitude that my needs come first and it's your job to meet them. And too often, I think, when people come into a marriage relationship, they spend all that time courting one another and doing for the other person to try and win their love. But then once you seal the deal and you get home and you start doing house, now it's your job to do for me. 
right? And we have all these expectations that we bring into the marriage relationship, but if we don't clarify them and talk about them, they lead to frustration because the other person has no idea that you have that expectation of them. But you're upset because over and over again, day after day, they're not fulfilling these expectations that you have. If I expect it, you're obligated to fulfill it, right? See, with entitlement and unrealistic expectations, we relate to our spouses and to other people as, the, as if they were an extension of ourselves. Too often, I don't think we realize our immaturity that we bring into our relationships. If you think about how it works to think of another person as an extension of yourself, think about the experience of a little infant who begins to understand their mother is really an extension of themselves, right? I have needs. If I cry, I get fed, right? If I, if I have a poopy diaper, I throw a tantrum and my needs get met. Too often, ladies and gentlemen, we come as relational infants into our relationships, and we have all of these expectations of the people that we're in relationship with, but we don't ever articulate them or even say, is this a fair expectation to have? And if, if we haven't talked about it, and we don't have our, our desires met, then we throw in the tantrum, and we think if we cry loud enough or scream loud enough, we're going to get our needs met. It's immature, and we need to bring a level of maturity into our marriages, into our relationships, so that we can talk about those expectations and clarify what's healthy, what's realistic, and be on the same page about wanting to legitimately meet each other's needs. If you, know you're, if you want to know if you're taking your partner for granted, ask yourself this question. Are you as polite, kind, and considerate in your communication to your spouse as you are to a casual acquaintance or a person you meet in a first-time meeting? I'm not. <laughs> but you see, it's that attitude of entitlement that allows us to think that we can treat those closest to us as if they are our slaves, our servants, the people who are there to meet our needs, and we treat them with disrespect and, when, and not with love and care and concern. We treat total strangers nicer than we treat those we love the most. When we allow these common attitudes to creep into our lives and into our relationships, they create blind spots to our vision and we begin to lose hope that the relationship is going somewhere positive and good. The last relational blind spot is playing the blame game. Often when I do marriage counseling, couples will come in with their lists. You know what the list is? The list of what's wrong with the other person, right? Marriages get into difficulty. They can't seem to solve their problems. So they come and say, I want to talk to the pastor. And they sit down and say, tell me what's going on. And they bring out their list. Well, he does this, 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 and this. Oh, yeah, well, she does this, 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 and this. And when you're focused on the other person being the problem, it prevents you from being able to take a look at yourself and say, what is it that I'm contributing to the situation? What is it that I'm doing that's contributing to the difficulty? Because we know that in every relationship, it always takes two. A lot of people are unhappy before they get married, and then they get married and now they're unhappy after marriage, but the advantage is now they have someone else to blame it on. It's so easy, isn't it, to say, it's your fault. It's not me, it's you. 
If you would just do this better, if you would just do that better, if you would just meet my needs in this way, we wouldn't be having this problem. It's much harder to look at ourselves and ask, what is it that's uh, my part in contributing to the situation? When I look at my spouse and I blame them, I'm essentially saying that they are in control of my feelings and my behavior. Again, it's looking at them as somehow an extension of myself rather than a, a lovable, independent, separate person that deserves my, my respect and my care. See, my relationship to them is no different than Pavlov's dogs, right? The bell rings, the dog salivates. My wife forgets to say hello, I get upset. My husband sits at the afternoon watching football afternoon, I'm angry. And we develop these recurring patterns like, like dogs where, where the bell rings and these triggers just set us off and we get into this conflict. But you see, if we turn it around and look at ourselves that, and we don't understand that it's not about winners and losers. It's not about me being right and you being wrong. It's a, it's a matter of understanding a relationship is a partnership that always takes two contributing equally. You realize a marriage isn't a 50-50 contract, right? I mean, that's kind of our culture has kind of devolved the understanding of marriage to a contract, like a business partnership, you know? If you give me this, then I give you that. And if you don't fulfill your end of the deal, then I'm not going to fulfill my end of the deal. It's a 50-50 partnership. That's not the biblical view of marriage. If you're going to get married according to the Bible, it's 100%, 100%. You're all in or you're not in. I give you all of me, and you give me all of you. And you see, if we have that perspective, if we have God's perspective, you see, God gave all of himself to us so that we could give all of ourselves back to him. So our relationship with God really becomes the very model for what healthy marriage looks like. It's not a 50-50 contract. It's an all-in partnership where two people become one. And the two becoming one happens when we're all in. All of my life is about giving myself for you. And the advantage is, if you have two people who are both all in, do you think every, both people's needs are going to be met? Absolutely. If it's 50-50, you only get 50% of your needs met. But when both people are all in, 100%, 100%. And you're not looking to blame the other person, but you're asking, what is my responsibility? What's my part? What can I do that invites an equal response? Now we're talking about a more biblical understanding of what love and a marriage based on friendship looks like. What helps in challenging these assumptions and replacing these bad practices with good practices? Well, as we said from the beginning, I would like to suggest to you this morning, it's having a vision for your relationships. It's having a vision for your marriage. You see, the purpose of pursuing vision is not to live in a fantasy dreamland. It's not like, well, someday I want to have a white picket fence and a fancy house. That's not what vision is about. A biblical understanding of vision starts with God's preferred future for our relationships, for our marriages, for our families, and allows us to then plan to participate in that today so that we're building our relationships according to godly principles. And we know that vision ultimately describes for us what we want our relationships to look like, what they want them to feel like. If we don't have a vision, if we don't understand where we're going, we can't be acting now to get us there in the future. 
Vision is lived out each day, one day at a time. Therefore, vision requires planning. It requires godly purpose, core convictions, key behaviors that we build into our lives, into our calendars, into our schedules. I think that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9 through 15, when his disciples came to them asking how to pray, what do we pray for? I think if we took the Lord's Prayer and we applied it in the context of our marriages and our relationships, it can help us look at the value of Jesus' prayer in a very different way. This then is how you should pray, Jesus said, Our Father in heaven. Our marriage is born out of God's love for us. Our Father in heaven. You see, if we have a a, a purpose that's beyond just our attraction that's beyond just our romance. There's a, there's a universal good that comes from being married, that comes from our understanding that God is our Father, and our marriage is a reflection of the love of God. That changes everything. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. How often do we pray in the context of thinking about our marriage or our spouse? God, in our relationship, your kingdom come. In my relationship with my wife, God, your will be done. In the relationship with my husband, God, your will be done. Wouldn't that change often the way we approach these conflicts and these blind spots in our life? If we're thinking first and foremost about what would God's will be in my relationship with this person? On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You see, give us today that vacation in Maui next summer. No, no, give us today our our daily bread. What is it that we need to be building our relationship today? What's the little thing that I need from my husband or my wife? What's the the little thing that I need from from friends that is going to help me to build day over day the vision that I have for where I want to be two years from now, five years from now, seven years from now? See, daily bread are the building blocks of an effective and a successful life. Forgive us our debt, says, we also have forgiven our debtors. We talk about forgiveness a lot, right? But man, when you're in that moment where you're in that fight and you're arguing and and, and, and you're you're in separate rooms and you're like, how hard is it to go, you know what? I need to forgive so that we can overcome this obstacle and begin to focus on what's most important. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, even as we've been forgiven. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oh, how much temptation is there, right? To think that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Oh, if only I had a husband like she has. Oh, only if I had a wife like he has. Oh, if only I had a relationship like I saw in that movie. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one that whispers seeds of dissatisfaction, thinking that the person that God has brought into our life is not good enough, isn't enough, isn't the right person. Ladies and gentlemen, Hollywood gives us the myth that there's that right soulmate for you. That's going to make relationships problem-free. It's going to be easy and romantic and warm and fuzzy continually. It's a lie. There is a soulmate for you, but his name is Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that relationship with Jesus as the one who is the lover of our souls, we can't 
love other human beings effectively. We can't find our ultimate meaning and satisfaction in a spouse or a friend or any other person. Jesus Christ is your soulmate. And if Jesus is your soulmate and you're focusing on building your relationship with him, then he teaches us how to live in loving partnership with all those people that he brings to be in our lives. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also, Jesus says. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, I think he's talking about this principle that when we forgive one another, we're loving each other with God's love. And if we're not doing that, then it means that we're not really in God's love. We haven't really accepted God's love for us. And so part of being able to have a vision for our marriages and for our families is to be able to understand how Jesus taught us that relationships are built through the love of God with daily acts of love and kindness through love and respect for one another. What do you want your marriage or your family to look like two years from now, seven years from now? See, your homework for this week or in this new season is to think about what God might be inviting you to consider is your next step in your marriage or in your family or in your friendship network. How can you begin to plan intentionally to build a vision for what relationships will be like at the end of this year, down the road? When you go out for lunch or after the football game, start having conversations with other people. Talk about what, what is our vision. And then remember that any vision to become a reality requires action. You have to communicate it regularly. You have to plan from it faithfully. And you have to live it out daily. I'm going to close with a sample vision that uh, relationship coach Raymond Gleason had. And uh, one couple put this together. Nine component parts of our marriage vision. We surprise each other in delightful ways. Because we recognize that this will be both challenging and fun. Number two, we ask each other, how can I support you today? We expect a specific and truly helpful response. We compliment each other a lot, and we rarely criticize. We want to be proactive versus reactive. Number four, we have developed a vision for our physical intimacy together. With busy lives and tired bodies, it's easy to neglect this very critical dimension of our life together as a couple, and we want to be intentional. Number five, we laugh together a lot and remember to be playful. We want to cultivate a more playful spirit in our relationship, whether we're tired or not. We set aside time to pro protected time to do things together, and we follow through on that. We prior prioritize our schedules based on our desire to put each other first. Number seven, we show affection to each other at least once each day, both verbal and physical. Number eight, we speak without resentment, sarcasm, and animosity. We disarm them immediately when they arise. We commit to be responsible for our own tongue and our own tone. And finally, number nine, we share our faith and our faith practices together, doing things to unite us on our spiritual journey together. We believe this is the most intimate thing that we can do together. Do you realize how many couples have no partnership in their faith practices and their relationship with God is completely divorced and separate from their marriage, from their friendships, from their experiences of relationship in this world? Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that God is inviting us in this new season 
not only in our marriages, but in our relationships as a church, to be a community that knows how to do relationships well. And if we can do that, then we have something to invite other people into to experience this love of God that transforms marriages, that transforms friendships, and that transforms lives from the inside out. May we all have the courage to go on this journey together. Would you pray with me?